0: Alright, well, tonight uh, we're going to pick up at chapter 8, where we left off. Um, I was kind of, I don't remember if I mentioned it last week, but just kind of going over this and thinking about things again. And uh, Last night, in the middle of the night, I was thinking about how there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I just thought, you know, that was just exactly what happened when they were marching around Jericho, before judgment happened, that they were told to be quiet and not make a sound. And that whole marching around Jericho is a picture of going and entering into the promised land before they do. And there's, I, I think there's something there in relation to that. And you're going to see too, then when heaven is open, there's going to be these loud peals of thunder and all these other things. And before the walls came down, they were to shout. And so, I don't know if that's a, a parallel there or what, but... Uh, Tonight we are in chapter 8, verse 7, picking up there, and we kind of saw that the angels were given these trumpets to blow, and we're about to see them blow here now. So the first one, in verse 7, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. I mentioned this last week, but now you're going to really see it this week in great detail. This is patterning exactly the Exodus, the plagues that went on. We see that in Exodus that there was hail and fire that came down and destroyed their crops and that type of thing. And this was judgment on their gods. It was judgment on the people who followed their gods as well. So, it's just interesting that in all of these, you're going to see a parallel to the plagues that went on in Egypt. Every single one of them. So, you can read about that in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. Um, And the reason was, as the scriptures tell us even in Romans, it says that he did this to show... That my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In essence, that's the exact reason this is happening too. We can look at this as, oh, bad people are being judged. They're getting a spanking finally. But that's, it's more than that. This is proclaiming that Yahweh is God. And that His name is going to be proclaimed throughout the entire earth. You're going to see an angel soon that is going to go out with the eternal gospel. So, the result of this, or in the midst of this, there's going to be an angel going and giving the gospel to proclaim His glory throughout the whole earth. The very reason that God sent the plagues of Egypt. The very reason that we're seeing this as well. Now, in Ezekiel 38, verses 22 and 23, he says, I will execute judgment upon Gog, With plague and bloodshed, I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Even there we see, then they will know that I am the Lord. That's the goal, folks. That you may know and understand God. As much as justice is being handed out here, the goal isn't to bring punishment, the goal is to bring glory to God. Can't forget that. Now, with all of these trumpets that are blowing, some have proposed, not saying it's not right, it could be. That this could be a result of a nuclear war. Uh... It's been said that there's never been a weapon that has been forged that has never been used by a country. True or not, I don't know. I've just heard that said. A lot of countries have nuclear uh, nuclear warheads and things like that. Could it be? Well, I'm going to say it's possible that this is describing that God could use something like that, or it could be like in Egypt. In Egypt, it was not something natural, it was something supernatural that was happening. But throwing it out there as a possibility of of nuclear war, we do know that when a nuclear bomb hits, one of the first things that happens is there it's like a wave of fire. It's this huge hot, hot heat that just over two hundred miles per hour rushes for I don't know what distance, but a great distance and it just starts everything on fire and vaporizes things and it's just really hot. Now, what's interesting here is how much of the trees are affected. It's one-third of the trees that are affected. Um, we'll just kind of keep that in mind for now. I'll just be pointing it out. But all the green grass, all you know, the, the trees basically, or I should say all of a third of the trees are being burned up anything green verse 8 says the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea a third of the sea became blood a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed so once again it's a third a third a third A third of the sea is being turned to blood a third of the ships are destroyed Um, And it's all a result of this great mountain burning with fire. Those that hold to a nuclear war scenario say that you would see this huge mushroom cloud that would look like a mountain, um, a mountain of fire and smoke. And then as that settles, it gets into the water and we see that the waters become poisonous. Okay, Again, possibility, but... If I look at the Exodus pattern, the waters literally turned to blood. And it seems like it was more of a supernatural thing. A, because of the patterns that we are seeing in Exodus, and those were literal, as well as the fact that this is God's judgment that's happening now. Before we were seeing more things man was doing, This is stuff God is doing. It is clearly supernatural. And you're going to see that people are realizing this is coming from God. Whereas right now, when things happen, you know, even when the Twin Towers fell or any of those kind of things, if people say that God's behind that, you're in trouble. You know, oh, God wouldn't do that. Uh, Yes, He would. But my point being is, I don't think that they're mistaking this that this is some natural thing. They're they're realizing this is the hand of God that's doing this, as you'll see. Interestingly, the Atlantic Ocean is almost exactly one third of the seas. And so that's why some say like a nuclear bomb, you know, is hitting you know, somewhere near there or whatever. Uh, the hail One of the things you see from nuclear bombs is when it's near water, it takes all that moisture up in the air and it comes back down. In the 1950s when they tested the nuclear bombs, there were hail that just like bombarded the ships because all that moisture went up about a mile into the atmosphere, super cooled and came down as huge ice and hail. And so, are there patterns? Yeah, there are but I tend to think it's more supernatural, like, like you're saying. You know, could it be a meteor or a comet as well, some will say, falling into the oceans? Um, possibly. We know that we have been primed for that because there are movies like Armageddon and, you know, all these that people think that we can stop it. If there's a meteorite coming... We'll talk a little bit more about that here shortly, but uh, the idea that man is going to be able to stop God's judgment. I think about that often when it comes to the curse. We spend all of our time trying to overcome the curse, and we can't do it. Farming as a great example. He says, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the ground. And we say, we don't want to, so we're going to develop, you know, corn that Roundup won't affect, it'll just kill the weeds. And now we see that Roundup won't kill some of the weeds. And so we're using, we have to continue to find new things to overcome the curse. But God says, no, you're going to have the curse. You're going to deal with the curse. Some believe that these trumpet judgments are identical to the bowl judgments that come after this. I do not think so. There are similarities, but there's a huge difference, and that is this. Here in every one we see a third of the sea, a third of the ocean, a third of the rivers, a third of the, the land. When the bold judgments come, all of it. The entire sea, the entire land, the entire heavens. And so they can't be the same thing. It is, I think, prepping, but it is not identical. It doesn't seem to fit the patterns that we see either to say it's the same thing. The plagues of Egypt, again, as I said, are mirrored as the water was turned to blood in Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. Now, the other thing I want you to remember then is that if if a third is destroyed, that means two-thirds is not destroyed. And we also have to remember that there are the 44,000, 144,000 rather, that are still here, it seems. They were just uh, sealed before these take place, and so somehow these hundred and forty-four thousand are not being affected by this. If it was a nuclear bomb, then we got to make God's going to make sure that all hundred and forty-four thousand are not near that. Or it's a uh, uh, Daniel and the, or I guess Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's being thrown into the fire kind of thing, where. It just goes right past them. But anyway. Verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. Many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Wormwood, the word really means bitter. Interestingly though, if you have a Russian Bible, you look at a Russian Bible, the Russian word for wormwood, any guesses? Chernobyl. Yeah, very interesting. So just, that's really why I bring up this whole nuclear theory that's out there. Like I said, I'm not necessarily on that boat, but um, it is interesting. I know that Mark wrote of a day that seems to be referring more to the sixth seal, I think, or the fourth trumpet, but the third trumpet could fit as well when he says this, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That this star falling from heaven. Is it like a meteor? Is it a, you know, something like that? Or is there some angelic thing? I kind of tend to think this is not angels as much as it is a physical part of the heavens being shaken. But um, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. There's a couple of things there. First of all, nuclear fallout does that. But we also see a picture that I think is a contrast in the Old Testament when the Israelites had been brought out they had been rescued. They came upon bitter water. The waters of Marah. Mara, and they end up taking this the stick or log and throwing it into the waters and the waters became sweet so that they could drink it. Now, the Jews have always seen that as a picture of Messiah, believe it or not. Christians see it as a picture of Jesus as well. But they see that tree in a sense you might even say it's what Jesus did on the cross he has taken the bitterness of our sin and he has taken it away and he has given us living waters to drink from well it's kind of the opposite here in some senses but maybe that 144,000 that are there the waters become bitter but because of Jesus because of Yeshua they still have sweet water to drink I don't know Just just throwing out possibilities here. All I know is that there's that interesting parallel in the Old Testament of the bitter waters that they couldn't drink, but they could once Messiah cleansed it. And regardless of that, how it happens, we do know that the 144,000 for sure are sealed and protected. They're going to have waters to drink. But at this point, it's only one-third of the waters that are affected. So, so far we've seen a third of the land affected, a third of the seas affected, and now a third of the fresh waters are affected. So, it's, it's kind of screwing up the surf and turf meals. It, it's affecting everything. Alright? Just a third of it, yeah. But, going back to Egypt again we remember the plagues god made the waters undrinkable okay he affected the exact same things in egypt he affected the land the crops and all of that type of thing he affected the sea the mediterranean or you know the the sea and the fresh waters the nile river becomes blood so he's affecting all of those things in the same way uh this Wormwood, again going to that idea of Armageddon and all these movies, like I said, it seems to be softening us up to this point. Every now and then we hear about these meteorites that are going to come close to earth. I think, didn't Andrew, you show me something here just recently about something was supposed to be closest that's ever been? Uh, Yeah, something, and I don't remember when even, but anyway, Na- These are legitimate like war games for NASA to talk about things like Armageddon to be able to do that. It would not surprise me if something like this does happen, and that we think that we can overcome it. Well, God's sending this, and hey, well, we that's all right. We, we're man. We we can we can do this. Okay, uh, not even God can sink this ship, kind of thing, right? Well, that's not the way this is going to turn out. Jeremiah 9.15 here is showing, I think, that this is an act of judgment, just as it was in Egypt, just as I've been saying it is here in in Revelation. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. You can also see in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 as well. Clearly, God uses a pattern in His judgments you look throughout the Old Testament, he does all the time. Drought is one. Famine is one. And we don't see the blood water outside of the Exodus and here, but uh, it is definitely a pattern. Verse 12, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So now with the fourth angel, the heavens are affected. So now we've gone beyond surf and turf, and we're up in the heavens. All of creation is being affected here. In Ezekiel 32, it says, When I snuff you out, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. So notice, not when I just bring a little judgment, but he's saying, when I snuff you out, this is what's going to happen. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. So, when a third of the sun is struck, what does that mean? You know, as a kid, I always assumed, well, does that mean like one-third of it is going to be dark? It's almost like an eclipse of the sun. But if we look at this Ezekiel verse, it says, I'm going to cover the sun with a cloud. The moon will not give its light. That's the same kind of words that are used in Matthew 24 that we see in Revelation. And so it almost seems to indicate that a third of the sun is going to be affected. Maybe like a third of the light only gets through. When we pattern this to the plagues of the Exodus, what happened? Well, it was absolutely pitch dark in you know, the land of Egypt, but in Goshen, they had light. That's not just a cloudy day. So I don't know. Again, supernatural, the nuclear side of things, we know that you have nuclear winter, they call it, right? and the the clouds, it, it does block the sun, it cools everything down, all of that type of thing to where it, you know, the cloud storm. thing could make but sense. It certainly is not an eclipse. First of all, eclipses don't last that long and an eclipse would not explain why the stars are not seen. So, eclipses are kind of one of those things everybody goes running to to explain all these things in the Bible that are unexplainable. Things like Joshua's long day as well. It's like, no, that's supernatural. Like I said, Egypt, you see a parallel there even though that there was darkness, complete darkness. It was a third, well, I shouldn't say a third, it was a portion of the land that was dark while a portion was light so in that sense it was a third of the area or i keep saying a third but a portion of the area exodus ten twenty one says stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over egypt darkness that can be felt well continuing on there in ezekiel just to read that again when i snuff you out I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I'll cover the sun with the cloud. The moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you. I will bring darkness over your land, declares the Sovereign Lord. So, keep in mind, this is past the Exodus. This is past the sun being darkened. And this seems to be very clear identical to what we're reading here in Revelation. So if you take those two and let Scripture interpret the Scripture, it does seem to be almost like a covering of it in some way, shape, or form. That He's going to bring darkness over the land. Verse 13, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the air, heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So, we've seen our patterns in your page here that we always have a break. The first four follow one theme and then the next one's We're going to change, and you can see on your patterns that we've gotten our first four trumpets, so now there's a change in theme for the next two. We're continuing to follow that pattern. And to kind of mark the change of the theme, this angel saying, Whoa, 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 flies through the air, kind of almost for the remaining three trumpets to sound. One for each one. Now, these three woes are going to be announced each time the next trumpet is about to blow. You're going to see that in chapter 9, verse 12. You're going to see it again in chapter 11, verse 14, and also in 9, 6. Well, I think, well, the very first one there, yeah. So, 9, 6 is going to show us that these trumpets are going to only affect the ungodly. It specifically says that there in chapter 9 verse 6 just like we see in the egyptian plague so again if it's the only only the 144,000 that are left on earth don't know but if that's the case then they are completely protected from it just like in egypt it didn't affect uh, not all of them affected the israelites as well 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12 here says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. I harp on this all the time. I use the same examples just because it's just what's in my head. But I harp on it with my family. I harp on it to myself. But I think this is a verse that shows us that, yes, we can have permission to go live our lives here and have fun. But is there a true benefit to that? There is absolutely no benefit for you kicking back and building your life here. Unless it is for the purpose of helping others, serving others, because in so doing you're helping and serving God. It's like Jesus said, when was I thirsty and you gave me something to drink? When was I hungry and you fed me? Well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me, Jesus says. I was thinking this afternoon about Ecclesiastes. That's kind of my life verse beyond Jeremiah 20, verse 9 there. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. There's hardly a day goes by that I don't have that thought go through my head. What a waste of time. What a waste of time of things that we do that are of no benefit. Permissible, fine, you're not sinning. But every day we should wake up and say, what am I going to do to serve the Lord today? And at night we should be able to say, how did I serve the Lord today? How did I invest in the kingdom of God today? It's so easy for us to get distracted and just, you know, work for ourselves. Um, and I know there's a fine line there. I mean, a mother can clean the house and think, what a waste of time. But yet, at the same time, you're serving. If you do it with the right attitude, it can be serving the Lord. If you do it with the wrong attitude, it can be a waste of time.
1: I mean, that's Where pretty were you much. When you
0: said that right now? What's that? Where were I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you can also be in yep. ministry. And- every, every, profi- yeah, being in ministry, this, I can do the exact same thing. It, it all depends on what we are doing and with what attitude or what's in our heart about doing it. Um, yeah, uh, there have been people who, have done ministry for only the sake of doing ministry it becomes a business and it's not doing it really for anything but to keep afloat and that's not right either so it doesn't matter whether it's cleaning houses or or being a pastor the same rule applies but I think it's easy for us to put off that great commission and wait for the right time to come along. This is telling us, folks, that the right time is now. It is now. That we are supposed to be having a a fire in our heart to spread the Gospel, to warn people of what's coming. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because now is the time where the whole earth is about to hear the gospel. The entire earth. We often hear that phrase that, you know, it's a scripture verse where, you know, the gospel will go out to the whole world before Jesus comes back. I can't quote it right now, but basically a lot of people will say, well, look, the gospel, we've translated the Bible in all these different languages and whatnot, and you know now the whole world pretty much has, has heard the gospel. It's one of the signs of the end. While I think that that's true in part, I really don't think it's going to be true until there's an angel coming that's going to fly through the air and give the gospel. And truly, the whole world... I don't care where you are or what denomination or lack of that you grow up in. You will hear the gospel. And I think God is going to make sure that that's fulfilled with one of his angels. We'll talk about that when that comes up here. But what we've seen here, that kind of concludes chapter 8. So just to give you a, a review to try and keep everything in place. In chapter 1, we saw the basic introduction, you know, describing God as the judge there. He's standing among the churches uh, with the uh, stars in his hand, which were the angels of the churches. In chapter 2, it shifted back to earth and we started seeing the churches that were representative of not only, I believe, those churches at that time, but churches that would go throughout history leading us up to the present day, ending in Laodicea, the lukewarm church who had rejected God as creator. In chapter 3, we continued going through those churches. In chapter 4, it shifted back to heaven. And now we saw that judge that we saw in chapter 1, but now he's coming to take his seat, and we're seeing this whole scroll being handed out, and basically a picture of the heavenly courtroom, the elders around the throne, and so on. In chapter 5, we see Christ with that scroll. He's getting ready to open it. Everybody's weeping, who can open the scroll? And only the Lamb can. And that got us into chapter 6, which showed us the opening of those, those sealed judgments on the scroll. That took us to chapter 7, which was a commercial break between our 6th and the 7th seal. Just as there will be a commercial break between the 6th and the 7th trumpet. There's always a commercial break between them. And so that commercial break was that 144,000 being sealed and saying, Hold off, angels, before you bring all these judgments on the earth until they're sealed. And then, chapter 7, or chapter 8 rather, that we just finished, we saw they'd been sealed, so those angels were let go. And now we saw all of these judgments. That's it. Nothing too complicated yet. Sounds pretty orderly to me. What I'm going to do before we get into chapter 9 is I'm going to kind of take a little rabbit trail. Because I want to kind of keep the reality of our timing in, the, in, in front of our eyes at all times here. And that I believe we are very close. I know many generations have said the same thing. And I think it's good even if I am wrong and we are a hundred years away yet, I think it is very important that you believe that you're going to see it in your lifetime anyway. Because that expectancy, that urgency, causes us to live our lives in a certain way. It causes us to not worry so much about building our kingdom here now because it's all going to burn anyway. If you don't have that attitude... It's like, oh, I'm gonna, man. When I retire, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, I, 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 I. If you have the attitude of it's all gonna burn and it's gonna burn soon, it, that I seems to go away. And so I think it's healthy to have this attitude. Too often, it has been fear that has keep keeps us from. Oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna think about that. So. We sweep it under the rug for a little bit. Now go live my life so I don't have to be fearful. Well, you don't have to be fearful. You, You should be able to live with expectant joy and excitement that the Lord's coming back. So let's look at one of these things here that I've got as one generation. In Psalm 90, verse 10, it says this, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they're 80 years. Some have used this to define what a generation is. 70 to 80 years. Well, Matthew 24, verse 34, said, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, this generation that was going to see what we described in the six seals, will by no means pass away until all these things take place. In other words, there is one generation that all of those sealed judgments are going to take place in. We've kind of discussed that before. Well, if a generation is 70 to 80 years, then some have proposed that in a 70 to 80 year period, we're going to see all six seals take place. Some believe, I would say a majority of the people would say that that time period, that generation began in 1948 when Israel became a nation. Well, 1948 to 2018 brings us to 70 years. So we're at the end of that generation. 70, and if by strength we make 80 years, then that means by 2028 all of those things would have to take place don't know, it's just a theory that's out there, but if that is what a generation is, 70 to 80 years, because that's the whole thing is how long is a generation biblically speaking you have up to about 80 years the second little caveat there is is that when the generation started was in 1948 or not, but that seems to be a, a pretty big marker for sure We read in Isaiah 11, verse 11, it says, It shall come to pass that in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros, Cush, from Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth." Most scholars will tell you that what's talked about here in Isaiah 11 was this bringing Israel back to Jerusalem, back to Israel in 1948, May 19th. The first time was when they had been taken captive out to Babylon. Interestingly, how long were they away? Seventy years, a generation. It's always made me very sad to see that 70 years in one generation, that's what it took for so many of them to lose their understanding of God in a lot of ways. They say that less than 10% of the Jews actually came back to Israel when they were allowed to go back. When you look in the Bible, we see the lists of the people that come back. It's very small. And those that came back, they, they, you know it's like, good for you, we, you know, you're, you're our heroes, but I'm glad you're doing it, not us. Because you have to think about it, in a generation, most of the people who had been taken captive died. And now you have a new generation that grew up and the only thing they knew was Babylon. That was their life. The only thing they had beyond that was stories, promises. Are you guys in Babylon? All we know. All we know is this life outside of the stories, the promises of Scripture. And yet when he calls, are we the ones that are going to say, you know, you go on ahead. You you go on and serve the Lord, but I... I'm doing okay here. You know, I've got a good life right now. I don't want to disrupt that. I mean, look at the things that went on that we read in the book of Daniel and whatnot. It was evil, ungodly. It was terrible. And yet, when Israel had an opportunity to, to escape, so few did. Sometimes I wonder when God calls. How many people, how many of the church are going to say, I will follow? I kind of feel like COVID was kind of a calling out. We're going to see when we get into chapter 16, 17, and 18, the Bible keeps saying, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. I think God is calling us out of Babylon. And just like what we saw in the first time, only about 10% are saying, yes, I'll follow. And the other 90% are, I'm comfortable, this is all I know. I don't want to change it. But he says that the Lord is going to set his hand again a second time to call people out. I think we need to be prepared to be watching for that call, if it hasn't already happened. What's he going to do a second time? Recover the remnant from all these places. Now it's interesting that he's going to set up a banner for the nations the second time. What is this banner? Remember I told you months ago probably, I said do a a concordance search for banner. And look at how many times we see that God is going to raise a banner. He's going to raise a banner. And what you're going to see is that banner is raised and it's to call people to Israel, to Zion. It seems to be what we, maybe I, the best I can make sense is at the end of the seals there, that that banner had been raised and there's this group of people, multitudes, of every nation, language, tribe that goes to Jerusalem and they're going to have a hoopah to protect them. So it says he will set up a banner for the nations. He will assemble. Assembling means a gathering somewhere. I think that's Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Notice the outcasts of Israel. Who's that? Well, those are the lost tribes of Israel that we've talked about. That might be you. And gather together the dispersed of Judah. That's the, the, the southern kingdoms from the four corners of the earth. So, there is a promise that God is going to do that. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but I think you need to be prepared that maybe someday you're going to up and leave your home your job, maybe even some family. Because they're not followers of Yeshua. And it's time to move. Now, I believe that it will be clear when that day is. But at the same time, I want you to think about how deep do our roots go. Our roots should never go very deep here on this earth. Well, May 19th, 1948 is when this nation of Israel was born. That indeed was a huge prophetic fulfillment. It had been really 2,000 years almost since they had been back in their home. This wasn't a 70 year dispersion. It, this was a big deal. And many in the world today don't even keep an eye on what's going on in Israel. I've said it before, but that is the thermostat of the world right there. What goes on in Israel sets the temperature for the rest of the world. Always has, always will. Isaiah 66, speaking of end times, clearly it says this, Before she was in labor and this is going to be Israel, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Sound familiar? If not, it's going to later, Revelation chapter 12. You're going to see this woman who gives birth to a child. It's, it's Revelation 12. This woman is Israel here. That is one more reason why when we read Revelation 12, I think that it's safe to say that that woman is not just Mary, it's Israel. She delivered a male child. Who has heard heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? We're seeing that this child is a nation. And he's saying... Who's ever heard of such a thing? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Zion, that's Jerusalem. Revelation 12, 4 is up here. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. And then you're going to see that the devil is going to go after the rest of her offspring. Those who follow Jesus ultimately. But notice before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Before the trials and tribulations came, she's going to give birth to this child. So before troubles come, Israel perhaps could become a nation. See where that's going? Possibly. I've shown you this before, but I do find it just symbolically very interesting when Trump was in office that they minted a coin of him in Israel. And you can see Trump there and the guy right behind him. Guess who that is? (laughs) Cyrus. Why? Because Cyrus was the one who gave the, the command decree to go and rebuild the temple. Trump gave the command to bring the embassy back to Jerusalem. And so, in Israel, they loved Trump. Enough to put him up there with Cyrus. Cyrus. And it's called the temple coin here. It was uh, minted in 2018, kind of in memory of 70 years of being back in their country. So, if that's the case, and if there is one generation that all these things are going to take place in, and it would begin with these promises of Isaiah 11 and and giving birth, bringing back this nation, then we could be in the last eight years. Well, six years. I don't know. I I can't say, but it's just one of these things that it's good to be aware of. Matthew 24 said this in verse 42, Watch therefore, If you're not going to be able to have some clues and maybe get some guidance, then he would just say, just go live life and don't watch. You'll know it when it happens. But instead, he says, watch. Because not everybody's going to get this. Not everybody's going to see it. But the watchful will. He says, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. You're not going to know the hour. But you are going to know the time and the season. And because of the days and the times and the seasons, that you will know if you're watching. Look at how many in the church in this last two years were sleeping and they had no clue that the devil was marching around them leading them, not a clue. To this day, many of them are clueless because they weren't watchful. I mean, very, very few churches were watchful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you because you're going you're to know for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. And I've said this many times, so many people saying, oh, see, he's coming like a thief, so you're, you're never going to know, so don't watch. And I say, well, you are not. must not be a Christian then. It's like, what? Well, yeah, because... You're, the Christians, they're going to know. It says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you. You're not to be sleeping. Hosea 5.14 For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place, till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face, and in their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has stricken us, but he will bind us up. When? After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his presence or in his sight. I know I've kind of explained this to some already, but just to remind you of this again Hosea 5 and going into chapter 6 here, I have yet to find a commentary that can explain this. I really truly believe that this is saying that a day is like a thousand years. We see that all throughout Scripture a day representing that, you know, with creation and so on. But Here it says, I'm going to be like a lion to Ephraim and to Judah. What happened? Jesus came and he was like a lion to Ephraim and to Judah. That would be all 12 tribes of Israel. And he says he's going to tear them to pieces. He's going to go away. No one to rescue. He's going to go back to his place. Well, first of all, the Lord came down and then went back to his place. Well, that sounds like Jesus' first coming. Now he's going to go back to his place until how long? Well, I'm going to return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. When they recognize, when they weep and mourn for what goes on in the world. When they recognize we killed our Messiah. When we recognize we've taken hold of Babylon. We have inherited lies from our forefathers. Things of of no benefit. Things of vanity and conceit. Then they'll seek my face. In their affliction, they're going to earnestly seek me. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about the, the corner fringe message. The guest speaker there, Trevor Rubenstein, talking about he is in a Jewish ministry, and he says. We have seen an exploding Jews coming to know Yeshua as their Messiah. And he says, I find it interesting that while we're exploding, I see the Gentile church just slipping down a slippery slope of destruction. But they're realizing and repenting. Yeah, Romans talks about that, that, you know, uh, until they uh, admit their guilt as well yeah, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. but Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles comes in, and then he's going to open up the doors, and all Israel is going to be saved. The Jews are coming back. And so very much so. Yeah, up here. yep. And so that's what's going to happen. He goes back till they admit their guilt. And then verse six or chapter six, verse one, come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces. He's, he's, he's brought all of these trials on us, but it was all to bring us to him. He'll heal us. He's going to bind us up. Well, when is all this to take place? As I said, after two days. Well, it's been about 2,000 years since Christ went back. It's not after two days from when he was born, but two days after he goes back to his place. Well, when did he go back to his place? We don't know for sure, but somewhere around 33 AD probably to 35 AD. Some will go even 30 AD. So 2,000 years from then, we're getting close. That too fits with this generation. All these things would happen in this generation. The signs of the time are pointing to this generation. All of this is telling me that we should be watchful and that we should have an expectancy to be watching for what we're reading here in Revelation and we should be saying, wow, this could be happening. I need to stop worrying about my 401k. I need to be thinking about heavenly things because this is just going to burn. I bring this up because I want you to just this week, really meditate and think about that. Kind of what I brought up at the end of last week. God has given you a life here, and I really think that, as I closed last week, that He's given you this life as a blessing for you to be prepared for what's to come, to invest in your eternal life, to invest in the kingdom of God now. And, I'm going to say this again this week more so just to make sure that you understand me clearly. Last week I said because it is about us. How we are always, oh, it's about God. Everything's about God. God be the glory. God, 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 God. And I agree with that 100%. But don't forget that what brings glory to God is you. And it is you being blessed that brings Him glory. Me as a father... Just having my kids doesn't bring me any glory. Okay? It can be all about me. In my household, it better all be about me. I'm the head of the house, right? I mean, I'm just going to kind of use this as an example. So you, if I say something, you do it. If I say jump, you say how high. Now, believe me, it does not work that way in my house, but <laughs> let's say it did. If, if it worked that way perfectly, I'm not glorified by that. I'm not glorified by blind obedience. What glorifies me is to see my children walking with the Lord. And that is what makes me proud. It it makes me happy. It makes me joy-filled. But if they obey me because I'm the head of the house, I get no pleasure out of that. And so... What makes me happy is to make it about them. It is about my kids. I want them to be blessed. I want them serving the Lord. I want them. And in it being about them, it becomes about me. And that's what I mean about it's about us. God gave you this life to invest in the kingdom of God because he loves you so much he wants to see the best for you. He wants to see that when you get to heaven, when you grow up, that you're following him and that you have, you've got the best job, the best home, the best family. You're successful, spiritually speaking. That's what he wants. And that's what he's given you this time for. So, in it being about you, it makes it about him because that's what brings him glory. And one of the best ways to do that, I think, is to recognize that it's time to get out of Babylon. It's time to take life seriously. Today's message was good on Corner Fringe again. He was again talking about the Sabbath and how it has been twisted so much to, by Ignatius and some of these early church fathers in the first and second centuries even, Making it like, don't keep the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, you better work on it or else you're not a Christian. The Lord's Day is Sunday. That's, but you, we don't do that Jewish thing. I mean, that's really what Ignatius and others say. Now they totally twist the scriptures. They quote Jeremiah talking about how the Sabbath and the new moons had become a, uh, a burden to God. Why? Because they were doing it with the wrong heart. You got these pagans going and and making burnt offerings to God and keeping the Sabbath. Well, that didn't bring God any pleasure. Any more than it does God for you to keep the Sabbath or to follow any of the commandments of God because you have to while you're living in Babylon. What he wanted is just like what he wanted in Egypt. Come out of her and he brought Israel out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of Israel. I think in one thing it means this, that we start following God's Word and taking it seriously and we stop believing this lie that that it's about the American dream, that we stop making Christianity a bunch of pagan rituals that just make us feel good because we can check that off. Yeah, I went to church on Christmas, I did my Easter thing, i went to church on sunday um, whatever how about let's look at what scripture says and let's start taking the commandments of god seriously and saying i'm not following the culture in the world anymore i am following the culture of god and his word and making that what we follow there's babylon in all of us and everybody is going to have a little bit and maybe different amounts of but babylon's still in me there's still a love of the world in me there's a desire of rest in me there's uh you know sabbath days that i have a desire to to go do things you know rather than honor the sabbath and keep it holy i know that there are blessings we were just talking with my family yesterday about those things the blessings of obedience i have zero doubt that god is blessed my life in so many ways because of a desire to be obedient. I have failed miserably in every area, but my desire and my continued efforts are honored by Him. And we were talking about even my brother that I've had to kind of excommunicate. Um, There was a blessing in that, and I know that. And this all came about because of reading, you know, let the dead bury their own dead. He said, you know, hey, I'll follow you. And Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, can you imagine telling somebody that today? And I said, but that's exactly what Scripture tells us to do. We have to even walk away from family members sometimes. Because if the dead, we have no part with them anymore. And it's sad, it's hard, but again... We can follow. It's just like the world kept telling me constantly. No, you've got to keep the communication lines open with your brother. Hey, I'd, I'd done the biblical steps already. No, yeah, Culture, psychology, that's what they were telling me, but God's Word was saying something different. I had to come out of her, and I had to follow God's Word, and that's what I did. So, success there. I could give you 20 failures where I've failed. But every little bit is, every step you take, God will honor those things. I mean, look at what he did with Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They, those little steps of obedience make a difference. I was looking today some wall builder stuff as well, and some of the stories of just the obedience that some of our our early forefathers of our country. Pretty remarkable. Truly remarkable. And uh, anyway, with that, I think we'll close. I'm going to leave that challenge. That's a challenge that only you guys can can uh, answer what it is. Real quick, and maybe just so this also gets online, is Israel, again, November 2023. Is when we're going to Israel again, uh, providing the Lord allows that to happen. And if he does, we need to start kind of at least marking our calendars for that and thinking about it if if that's something that you want to do. So talk to me about that or contact me um, online here if, if you're listening. So let's close in prayer.